Hood by J.M. Bullpit. Read by Jack Collard. Chapter 24 Upping the Ante Dress sense Dave's scrapyard was conspicuously, suspiciously quiet. There were no sounds of machinery being operated, no call and response shouts or whistles from men working within its walls, no crash and smash of metal grinding against metal, only the everyday noises of the city that mumbled and murmured outside its walls bled into the vacuum of quiet and stillness. Every instinct told him he was the catch of the day, about to swim into the net, but what choice did Robbie have? For many minutes, Robbie had hidden the shadows on the other side of the street from the junkyard, but he witnessed no one coming or going. The scrapyard and garage appeared open for business, but no business was coming its way. The small door set within the larger metal door was uncharacteristically left open, which meant Robbie could see all the way through to the two-tone caravan Isla and he had lived in for a short while while at the end of last year. However, there was no movement, no sign of any humanity at all. John Parry did not have to pretend... This was anything but a trap. The bait was enough to lure in Robbie. Deciding that there was little point in hiding, Robbie had jogged across the road and dashed through the scrapyard door without even attempting anything like concealment. No immediate attack awaited him inside the door. The scrapyard appeared lifeless. As Robbie advanced into the scrapyard, the teetering canyons of vehicles loomed over him, just inviting ambushes and hiding places. Robbie desperately wanted the coat and its invisibility function, although a part of his mind was at ease with the idea that Isla had some means of protection because he had made her take the garment. Most of his conscious mind was occupied with detecting any hint of threat, 
but like a constant, booming bass note cutting through all other thoughts was the idea that his life might now be at the mercy of the rhythm of a sniper's pulse. But Robbie doubted John Parry would go to all this trouble for a simple, clean kill. Out of sight behind him, Robbie heard the door within the metal gate clang shut. It did not surprise him in the slightest, but terror still coursed through him at the sound. The reverberation of the door closing seemed to resonate over and over again in his head, finally dying out to be replaced by a high-pitched whine in his ears. It felt like something was amiss in the world, something was wrong. It was as if some creature was screaming in a pitch just outside of human hearing that did not register with the ears but made the skin crawl and goosebump and freeze and fill the listener with a sense of dread and doom. Nerves shredded, Robbie ducked through the back seats of a crumpled estate car and threw to the back seat of an old Land Rover deep within the scrap pile. Sprawled across the seats, he took deep breaths to hold his nerve. Robbie needed to hear a friendly voice to convince himself he was not alone. He pressed the throat bead. Robbie, where are you? Robbie wondered if the clear sound of his grandmother's voice might carry to the men lying in wait for him, but he doubted it. I'm in dress sense Dave's scrapyard, Grandma, Robbie whispered back. No, Robbie, that's the worst place for you to be now. He doubted he had heard his grandma Gwen sound so panicked. She was normally the definition of composure. She sounded so comfortingly nearby, as if she was next to him. I don't suppose there's any point in me asking you if you can escape. Not without Isla, he replied. How far away are you? Robbie heard Gwen Carroll consult with Ivor briefly. About half an hour still. Robbie, listen to me. You're not going to do one of your hypno tricks, are you? he asked slightly too loudly for his liking. If so, I turn this off now. No, no, I'm not, I swear, Gwen Carroll hastily replied. You know John Parry does not want Isla, he wants you. I doubt he'll harm her. If you can wait half an hour for us to get there... You doubt he'll harm her, he repeated back at her. Grandma, there are a bunch of thugs with a young, attractive hostage. If there's a chance, they're... I'll have to help. None of this is Isla's fault. And how can you help her if you're dead? Gwen Carroll was brutal in her response. Because if they're focusing on me, they're not focusing on her, he replied. There was a muffled exchange and suddenly Ivan Noon was speaking as if talking directly in Robbie's ear. He spoke quickly and efficiently, but Robbie could detect the anxiety in Ivor's voice too. Find a hiding spot, Rob. There must be loads in the scrapyard. Somewhere narrow and impossible to breach would be best, but definitely somewhere hidden. Get something as a weapon. A metal bar, a tool, a car battery, hell, anything solid. These men are likely to be heavies, not killers, Rob, but some of them might want to make a name for themselves. Find a bit of favour with Parry. Stay hidden, Rob, and wait for us. Gwen Carroll was back on the speaker. Listen to Ivor, sweetie. I know you feel you can take them on, but you'll die if... Grandma, do you have any hypnosis thing you can do to stop the fear I'm feeling? He interrupted. His grandmother's initial silence was the response he anticipated. 
I can resolve this, Robbie, if you can just wait, just stay hidden, just stay safe. At that moment, the scrapyard resounded to the racket of an engine firing up, and then hydraulics at work. Soon after, a nearby column of cars toppled over, bringing down the opposite tower next to Robbie's hiding place in a domino effect. There was a chaotic din of rolling impacts and collapses, which forced Robbie to press the bead on his neck for fear that his grandmother's cries would confuse him even further. A second tower swayed, teetered and groaned. By sheer force of will, Robbie focused entirely on helping Isla. Everything else was superfluous. Determined not to be funnelled in the direction his enemy wanted, Robbie heaved, levered, limboed, weaved and scooted further into the junkyard piles, heading towards the garages within the brick archways on his own terms. The guard at the entrance to the archway garages was watching the dust rising from the fallen towers as if it was an entertaining public event like watching the destruction of a landmark block of flats. Occasionally, his lazy gaze would scan the rest of the junkyard, but he did not spot Robbie concealed within an old transit van. Holstering his pistol in his belt to light a cigarette, the guard hunkered over his lighter, distracted for the few moments the flame took to catch the tobacco. Robbie seized his chance. He was on the guard before the man could even spin around to face the rush of footsteps. Robbie was all too aware that the flurry of blows he landed on the guard probably looked like a ridiculous, panicked frenzy to any onlooker, but he did not care. Having taken Ivor's advice, Robbie had a scaffold clamp gripped within one fist and two blows with the hefty lump of metal followed by continuous punches until the guard's body went limp was enough. After quickly feeling for a pulse, a conflicted part of Robbie felt slightly guilty stealing the guard's pistol and lighter, although he had no compunction in taking the keys to the garages to unlock the door. Slumped just inside the doorway, Robbie found another unconscious guard bleeding from a head wound, his hands bound with cable ties. He guessed the second guard was a casualty of Isla putting up a fight, although his smile of pride in her quickly faded when he thought of the price she might have paid for such resistance to these men. Acquiring the pistol was a stroke of luck and upgraded him from dangerous to lethal, but Robbie had never held a gun, let alone fired one. He decided to risk a single shot to ensure that he had an idea of the gun's operation and recoil. Locking his arms in front of him, he targeted a patch of floor in the garage and pulled the trigger. A click. He flicked the safety catch on the side and tried firing again. Another click. Unloaded pistols were clearly part of John Parry's ruse. Why would Parry and his men risk guns and the attention they would bring when the scrapyard offered so many more inventive means of finishing off their quarry? The brick garages were full of vehicles, but tellingly no mechanics. They had become dim, echoing, shadowy places where every object looked like an assailant lurking in the dark. Somewhere distantly, an engine chunted away, but otherwise the place was as quiet as a graveyard. 
Robbie moved from low archway to low archway, yet found nothing but dirty cups, greasy tools, and questionable calendars. Finally, in a dim garage in which an old Mercedes was exposing her undercarriage as she levitated five feet above the floor by means of a hydraulic lift, Robbie located Isla's bag of tools beneath a workbench. But there was no Isla. When the attack came, Robbie heard it a second too late. He blindly tried to dodge out of the way, but before he was aware of what was happening, he was lying on the grimy floor of the garage, clutching the back of his head. His eyesight seemed to fragment. He could do little more than rock back and forward, grimacing in pain and disorientation. In the few moments after his vision returned, Robbie managed to make out an image of a leering, unshaven man stood over him. The man was deliberately waiting for Robbie to look up, so he could witness the fate that awaited him, a metal rod about to be smashed into his face. Raising the rod above his head with leisurely sadism, the unshaven man was about to bring it down when his facial features seemed to collapse. He dropped to his knees and the weapon clanged onto the floor. From out of nowhere there came a blur of movement as a hefty old wrench rained down another blow on the man's undefended head. The unshaven man crumpled to the floor. Still dazed and disorientated with his head throbbing in pain, Robbie could not make sense of who or what had saved him until Isla materialised out of nowhere. You came for me. Isla hugged him and then gently cradled Robbie's head. Hang on, I'll get you some painkillers. We'll need you in top condition, boy. We're in a seriously bad place, Rob. When Isla returned, Robbie necked the pills and prayed they would work quickly. Are you all right? Have they hurt you? No, Rob, I'm fine, Isla replied, ever so gently touching his forehead to brush his hair back. They just trapped me in here in the garages and yelled through the wall that they were waiting for you. I don't think they expected me to have the coat, because I managed to take out the guard by the door with my dad's old wrench, but he didn't have the keys to unlock the door, so I couldn't get out. Isla checked on the breathing of the unshaven man, and then bound his hands with cable ties. That's two men I've taken out now. I think you may be a bad influence on me, Mr Robert Ash. Even smiling hurt, but adrenaline seemed to be keeping the worst of Robbie's pain at bay. You have to remain invisible and hide. Might the code hide both of us? she asked. If we crouched down really low in a dark corner and waited until they made a mistake? They attempted to hide themselves, but it was a dismal failure. Too much of them was left exposed. Robbie dismissed the idea. No, you wear it. They're not after me, they're after you, Isla replied. But now they know I'm here. They'll hurt you, and I won't have them hurt you. Isla kissed him. Are there any back routes out of this place? asked Robbie. None, but I do have a couple of surprises for them. I wasn't going to passively wait to get rescued. Any ideas for a plan? We have help coming, but I doubt we'll get here in time, Robbie explained. I have the keys to the other door. If we make a dash for it, maybe we... As if in response, they overheard gruff, masculine voices 
and then the far door rattled. Isla and Robbie stared hard at each other and synchronised a nervous swallow. What surprises do you have? he asked. Well, I've got an oxyacetylene torch slowly cooking a gas cylinder. Don't they'll spot it, Isla explained. However, it's anyone's guess when the cylinder might blow. We've certainly got the means to make Molotov cocktails in here, but the fire they'll create is just as likely to put us in danger as them. She kissed him passionately. You came for me, Rob. You didn't abandon me. I'd never abandon you. I'm lost without you, he replied, and his response earned him another kiss. Whilst Isla's arms were wrapped around him, Robbie took the opportunity to switch on the invisibility function on the coat. Isla vanished not a moment too soon. Just under a dozen men sauntered into the dark garage and formed an arena by the entrance, preventing any chance of escape. Half of the men looked to be solid, somewhat overweight, shaven-headed clones in their late middle ages. The other half were an assortment of young thugs of all shapes and sizes. All the men had uniformly pitiless dead eyes. Robbie could imagine that they would wear the same expression whether they were watching sport or torture. The men were in no hurry. One of the younger ones was setting up a camera on a tripod, whilst another set up a couple of severely bright PAR can lights. A stubbled, anonymous-looking individual, who might have been any father, stood on a touchline on any Sunday, stepped forward. He hung his short jacket on a hoist dangling an engine to reveal a wide chest and powerful tattooed forearms. Were you expecting John Parry's son? he asked. Nah, sorry. Governor don't do personal appearances, hence the camera. Course you and John have already met, ain't ya? Got history, which is why we're all here. Put the bar down, son. If you don't use weapons, we won't have to. He winked at Robbie. Not yet, anyways. Tattooed forearms emitted an abrupt whistle, and two young men, stripped to their waists, swaggered towards Robbie, limbering up and rocking their heads from side to side. One was gangly, the other slightly chubby and mouthy. The chubby opponent advanced forwards with an exaggerated gait, his shoulders alternatively dipping with each stride, firing off threats about what horrors he was about to commit on Robbie, whilst his gangly companion circled around to Robbie's far side. When Lobby's lunging jab snapped into the chubby's face and sent him sprawling, it received a round of laughter from Parry's older men, relieved that someone had shut the kid up. However, Gangly immediately launched a kick into Robbie's abdomen that he was forced to painfully block with his forearms. Gangly's legs were so long that Robbie's counterpunch found nothing but empty space. Chubby rose to his feet, all snarling and curses, but the charge he made was so obvious that Robbie used the young man's own momentum to combine with the force of his own punch to send the chubby crashing to the floor for a second time. However, his gangly opponent lost no time in delivering a martial arts kick to Robbie's back 
along with two punches to the lower torso. The pain surged through Robbie's spine. He decided that the gangly one of the two was the more dangerous opponent and focused on him, leaving himself dangerously exposed to Chubby's fury. Correctly anticipating a third kick from Gangly, Robbie caught it and looped his arm around the leg. He tried to bob and dip his body, but Robbie was effectively defenceless from the clobbering his back was receiving from Chubby. Driving forward, Robbie forced Gangly to hop backwards into the Mercedes on the hydraulic lift. He then wrenched his gangly opponent's leg at an awkward angle against one of the hydraulic lift posts and leant his weight against it. Gangly yelled out in pain. Robbie clumsily kicked away his opponent's supporting foot and the young man crashed to the floor of the garage. For several seconds, Chubby had had free reign to pummel Robbie. Now, he switched tactics and wrapped his arms around Robbie. It was the break Robbie wanted. Using a foot to push off from the post of the hydraulic lift, the two of them clattered against the workbenches with Chubby taking the full force of the collision. Before Chubby could even finish crying out, Robbie had disentangled himself from his opponent's arms, then winded him with a punch to the stomach and stopped him speaking with an uppercut to the jaw. Chubby's fight was finished when Robbie rammed his head down onto the workbench and silenced him for the time being. Meanwhile, Gangly had limped to his feet. However, he had stood up at a spectacularly unlucky spot. Robbie merely slammed the passenger door of the Mercedes into his opponent's face for all fight to have left both Gangly and Chubby. Tattooed forearms applauded Robbie's performance with slow handclaps. Now, a taller, more muscular, thicker-necked individual stepped into the arena. It was only then that Robbie grasped what the men were doing. They were going to treat him like a prize-fighting dog taking on all comers and set the younger thugs on him. They would keep him fighting until he could no longer fight. You didn't think that would be it, did you, son? He clicked his tongue with a three times. Nah, kid. Police round here are looking for this vigilante bloke you heard. Damaging people, scarring people, hospitalise some fella I heard. Well, once we've finished with you, son, the Rosers will have an anonymous call and they can scrape up and hose down what's left. But we've got the rest of the day, and all night yet, and here's me spoiling the surprise. He whistled. Sean, you're up. The only thing that stopped Robbie from outright shaking with fear and not falling to his knees to beg for his life was the thought that Isla was watching him. There was still a part of Robbie that was glad Isla was not getting involved, and the men seemed to have forgotten about her entirely. But as his muscular opponent, Sean, advanced towards him, Robbie's mind found a single focus. The aches and bruises from the previous beating, as well as the first blow to his head, were not content to just lurk quietly in the background, but were making their presence felt to Robbie.
He felt as if one well-directed blow to his head or spine might just shatter him completely, and his new opponent looked dangerous enough to be able to deliver that strike. Walking forward with slow, measured strides, his opponent was a handsome man of a square, brutal granite sort. A few tentative lunges of the arm and a loose-limbed shuffle on the balls of his feet indicated a trained fighter. Not for the first time, Robbie wished Ivor had been able to teach him some moves with his feet to keep the man out of reach. Robbie found he could not back away any further without cornering himself, so stood his ground. Three feet away from Robbie, the man, Sean, stopped, his guard down. He was inviting Robbie to take a swing at him, but Robbie was not going to start this bout. The first flurry of blows landed so hard and fast that Robbie was left gasping. He had managed to return a solid jab into the man's face, but had received at least three direct hits in exchange. Ducking beneath the man's swinging arm, Robbie backed away towards the other end of the garage, leaving a breadcrumb trail of dripping blood. Suddenly, Robbie was staggering to the floor, all his senses muffled. His opponent was too far away to have hit him, but one of the middle-aged spectators had punched Robbie in the back of the head just to remind him that this was never going to be a fair fight and having a chance, let alone a hope, was a fool's dream. Hauling him up off the floor, Sean slammed Robbie against the old Mercedes twice, three times, and then went to work on hammering his abdomen, his sides, his head. It was all Robbie could do to bring in his elbows and use his fists as shields for his face, but his muscles were paying a heavy toll. Remembering how Ivor had defeated Sergei, Robbie moved in close to his opponent so that the fighter could not deliver the full force of his punches. Robbie then held one of Sean's arms against his own ribs and jammed his head beneath the fighter's chin. The man called Sean was frustrated that he could land nothing punishing, but, using his immense strength, he bodily lifted Robbie up off the floor and once again slammed him against the side of the old Mercedes. Even through the disorientation, the pain and the muzzy sensation from his senses, Robbie still had the new to recognise an instant of good fortune when it came. As the fighter Sean readied himself for a knockout blow, Robbie guessed rather than saw it coming and ducked his head to one side. His opponent's punch only dented the wing of the jacked-up Mercedes, although Sean was gasping in pain as he examined his sliced-open knuckles. Robbie scooted beneath the car. As his opponent ducked, his head to follow, there was a hiss, a groaning of metal, and then the hydraulics of the lift failed. The Mercedes crashed down onto Sean's legs, trapping him, screaming beneath the vehicle. Parry's men appeared bewildered. After a few moments of Sean's yells and pleas for help, some went to lift off the car from the fighter. Many of the men seemed outraged at such tactics, but were confused how Robbie had caused the crash. Eventually, Tattooed Forearm spoke up. Shut up, the lot of ya. So she's in here with us too, is she? The girlfriend? Hiding under that coward coat, is she? 
tattooed forearms addressed the empty space on both sides of the garage. Don't worry, darling. We'll have fun with you too. Wait your turn. Oh, don't worry, son. We won't make her fight. Well, unless she puts up a fight. Robbie was too damaged to be outraged at the threat. Blearily, Robbie watched as Parry's scowling, swarthy bodyguard entered the arena of the garages. Unlike Robbie's other opponents, he unfolded a blade-locking knife. Robbie fumbled for a tool from the workbench, knocking several to the floor. Tattooed forearms pulled out a pistol and motioned Robbie away from the tools. No, son. No weapon for you. You've just used a car to take out Sean. You and your woman are doing well. Three nil, ain't it? Five if we include the two morons we set to guard this place. Let's up the ante, shall we? Before Robbie had even removed his eyes from the gun, Parry's bodyguard rushed him and floored Robbie with a rabbit punch. It was in that moment that Isla's gas canister exploded. Chaos erupted in the garages. Robbie's mind barely managed to interpret the frantic patchwork of data from his senses, his cheek coated in a small slick of oil, the almost comforting aroma of grease that permeated the solid fabric of the garages, the taste of grime and blood pooling in his mouth, cries of panic and rage, Isla vanishing and materialising again, the pressure of his opponent on top of him, the bite of the blade into his left hand. More through luck than skill, Robbie had managed to grasp the knife, wedging the joint between the thumb and first finger of his left hand over the non-cutting edge or choil of the blade just beneath the handle guard. This still left a good portion of the blade biting deep into his palm. However, Robbie's mind was so overloaded with sensations it seemed undecided about its priorities and what it should be focusing upon. The irritation of his own blood running into rivulets down his arm and spoiling his clothes, or the acute pain of the wound and threat of the knife. All Robbie's instincts wanted to let go of the knife, but he knew that to let go was to allow Parry's bodyguard free access to plunge the blade into some other unprotected part of his body. Pain or no pain, Robbie would not release his grip but jammed his elbow against the floor of the garage to help him stop the blade inching closer. The bodyguard seemed furious at Robbie for not permitting him to commit violence freely. Writhing and twisting and shifting his weight made it almost impossible for Robbie to keep a grip on him, and the man was yelling curses like war cries in Robbie's face. Then the headbutt came. Pain seemed to layer on top of pain, the painkillers had taken the edge off the back-of-the-head blow he had received on finding Isla's bag of tools, but a couple of pills were never going to compete with the bruises, the cuts, the swellings, and the assorted damage he had received since then. In a bid to strike a mortal blow, Parry's bodyguard placed both hands on the hilt of the knife and, leaning his torso down against it, drove the blade towards Robbie's chest with deranged ferocity. Even with the force from the floor assisting him, Robbie could feel the muscles of his arms quivering with the strain of stopping the thrust. 
he did not have the strength to stop the inevitable for more than seconds. Squirming and contorting his body to one side, Robbie let the knife plunge down. The blade sliced through skin and thin flesh in his side, just at the very edge of his ribs. Most of the metal impacted with the concrete floor, which took the brunt of the blow. Robbie hissed out a gasp of shock, but before the pain swelled with the full consequences of the wound, Robbie grabbed the bodyguard's greasy hair and drove the man's face into the solid floor twice. Blood streamed from the man's nose, which had turned a darker shade. Stunned, the bodyguard blinked several times, and then his face warped with rage. Pinning Robbie down with his knees, Parry's bodyguard raised the knife again. Robbie scrambled for the blade, but it was out of reach. Before Parry's bodyguard could deliver the coup de grace, a wrench was smashed down onto his forearm. Isla's face hovered above them, gave Robbie a desperate, that's the only help I can offer glance, avoided the bodyguard's swipe with the knife and vanished before another of Parry's men grabbed her. In the brief reprieve Isla had given him, Robbie's fingers sought for something, anything, before the bodyguard recovered. He reached for an uncomfortable lump lodged beneath his right shoulder blade. It was round and solid, but small and thin. A sorry weapon, but at least it was something. As the bodyguard lifted the knife for a second, more accurate attempt at a kill wound, Robbie lunged at his opponent's face with the thin, rounded weapon in his hand. His first blow feebly collided with a man's face, but was more an irritation than a strike. When Robbie brought his hand back, his second impact only connected with the neck of Parry's bodyguard, and the weapon was wrenched from Robbie's hands as if caught fast on something. Rather than capitalising on his advantage, the bodyguard looked confused. The struggle between him and Robbie ceased instantly. With tentative, shaking fingers, the bodyguard sought the side of his neck. Something was protruding from it. Only then did Robbie realise that the thin, rounded object he had thought an ineffectual weapon had been the handle of a screwdriver, and its blade had penetrated deep into the bodyguard's neck. Parry's bodyguard was shaking his head. He looked as if he was having trouble swallowing. Dropping his own knife, the man wrenched out the screwdriver and then tried to stem the flow of blood from his neck wound with his fingers. He fell forward onto Robbie, their faces only inches from each other. There was something the man seemed to be trying to say, but the blood was gushing out of the neck wound with horrific rapidity, dousing Robbie in a hot, sticky curtain of gore. In horror, Robbie tried to apply pressure to the bodyguard's wound with his own palm. Childlike whimperings were issuing from the man's throat. When Robbie looked into the young man's eyes, he could see tears and an urgent, pleading expression. No, no, no! Robbie was crying out loud. Even if Parry's bodyguard had meant to kill him, Robbie had not intended to do the same to this man. But within seconds, some distant quality flooded the man's eyes. The breathing faltered. The body flinched several times, a mechanical sounding noise emitted from the throat. And the man stopped moving. Don't. Don't. 
Robbie still applied pressure to the dead man's wound and looked around the garage for help. Nothing made sense. As if his guilt had conjured him from Robbie's conscience, Ivor was in the garages, loping across the floor in his hands, as well as Sergei, Madame Soon's huge Mongolian bodyguard. Tattooed forearms tried to fire the pistol, but Ivor disarmed him before a shot could be fired. Then, the older man's legs buckled onto the concrete floor and the rest of his body soon followed. Meanwhile, Sergei was laying waste to three men with just one immense punch and a crushing bear hug. And Isla? Robbie sought Isla. About twenty yards from Robbie, Isla was lying on the floor in the corner of the garage, her form half-hidden, half-exposed, as one of Parry's younger henchmen tried to crawl on top of her. But Isla had drawn her knee up and was kicking her attacker in the face, in his midriff and lower. She hardly needed either to dispatch the young henchman into unconsciousness. Suddenly, Grandma Gwen was embracing him. Robbie did not return the hug as he dared not remove his palm from the neck of his pale opponent. Robbie's own pain was just an abstract idea, something he would get around to later. Pain was not the issue. It was life that was the issue. And life was so much more than the frail engine of a pulse or the delicate departure of energy from the eyes. As Robbie had seen in Parry's bodyguard, he did not even know the man's name. Life could be rampant one moment and spent the next. Please help him, Robbie asked. Please? His grandmother glanced over at Ivor, who was checking Parry's bodyguard. He stopped his examination and stared back at Gwen without making a gesture. Silence seemed an appropriate diagnosis. Please! It was only Isla's embrace that Robbie returned. The hug itself was a mutual plea not to separate from each other again. But even Isla's arms could not console him over the killing he had committed. Even then, he murmured into her brown hair over and over again, Please, please, please.